Praise God. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me to Genesis chapter 47, verse 1. Then Joseph came at Genesis 47, 1. And then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. You may be seated. God bless you. Uh, now going to Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. I'm going to read two verses, Matthew four eighteen and 19. And G- Matthew four eighteen. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Mark 1, 16. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Verse 17. And Jesus said unto them, Come, Ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And the title of this is Shepherds and Fishermen. If you came here with a need tonight, a personal need, you needed the Lord to touch you, help you, in Jesus' name, I commit that need unto him right now, and I trust you to let him minister you and help you, because this session's not going to be about that. Not being facetious, I just did that. Jesus' name, you and I together, hopefully we can bind together and trust God with whatever your need is and believe that he'll help you. That's not what this service is about. I started last uh, Thursday night, and uh, the Lord has chosen, I thought I was going another direction, but he's chosen to continue tonight trying to help you to understand what God's doing so you can get on board with it. The predominant natural occupation of the most significant leaders of the men of God in the Old Testament was shepherd. The first shepherd was Abel. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Of course, Moses was a shepherd. And David was a shepherd. These great men of God were all shepherds. It may surprise you to know that there is no evidence at all that indicates that even one of the twelve apostles had worked at any point in their life 
as a shepherd. This is not an accident. The Old Testament, the Old Testament approach, the, 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 uh, the ultimate goal of, for God, of God in the Old Testament for the people of God, the, the primary focus of the leaders in the Old Testament was a shepherding mindset. Which is a maintenance mindset of leadership. A shepherd is concerned with the safety of the sheep. A shepherd is concerned with the health of the sheep. A shepherd is concerned with making sure the sheep have good food to eat, good pasture to be in, and safe water to drink. A shepherd is successful if the sheep are healthy and safe. There is no greater goal for a shepherd than the safety and the health of the sheep. That is not the leadership mindset for the New Testament. The leadership mindset of the New Testament, it is possible to prove that at least seven of the twelve apostles had worked as fishermen. Some of them, it's noted, were actively working as fishermen when the Lord called them. Fishermen are not maintenance in mindset. A fisherman has a mission for every day. It's to go someplace using skill and experience and determine the best they can where the school of fish are so that they can let down their net and catch a great draught of fish if it's possible. Fishermen are result oriented. They're not, they don't define success by the boat being in good shape. They don't define success by their nets being in good repair. They don't define success by leaving the shore and sailing around a while and safely coming back to the shore. The primary leadership of mindset of the Old Testament was shepherding, or we use the word pastor today. It's maintenance leadership. The primary leadership mindset of the New Testament was based on the fishing concept. Pursue. Seek. Find, catch. Call it mission, call it task, call it results, call it you want what you want to, but that's the difference. The scripture says this in uh, 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read several, starting with chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, and the Greek word there can also be translated ministry. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given unto us. In other words, no two of us have been equipped exactly the same by God on purpose. I'll say that again. No two of us have been equipped by God exactly the same on purpose. Having been gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth or preacheth on preaching. He that giveth. Let him do it with simplicity. And the Greek word here is not the word didomai, which is giving. It is the word for impartation. He that imparts, that does a spiritual impartation of authority and giftings, etc., etc. Let him do it with purity, with a pure motive, is what the word simplicity means. He that ruleth. Yes, God gives some people to... The, the gifting to be in charge. Not everybody's gifted to be in charge. Look it up. Read it. Study that. Study the use of the word. Where it's studied, used in other verses. Doesn't make one person better than the other. It's gifting. Some are gifted to lead. Some are gifted to be in charge. Let him that ruleth with diligence. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another. And uh, another, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honoring, prefer, in honor, preferring one another. In other words, it's, it's not my gift is the most important gift here. It's not what I bring to the body is irreplaceable. I am irreplaceable. Everybody needs to defer to me because I'm irreplaceable. Wrong. In honor, defer or prefer your brother. And I, I don't mean that generically, I mean, as far as uh, gender. But I mean that 
each other. Don't seek honor over others. Don't seek recognition as a matter of preeminence. It could cost you a cross. Because the mother of James and John besought Jesus. Said, I want, I've got, I've got a request to make of you. What's that? In the kingdom, I would like one of my, one of my sons to sit on your right hand and on the other on your left. And he says to her, can they drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He says, as far as who's going to sit by me, that is up to the Father. But you're seeking an honor that requires drinking a cup. She didn't have any clue what she was asking. Because the cup he was going to drink was the cross and the suffering. When you're seeking honor, you're volunteering for a cross. When you're seeking to be preferred, you're seeking a cup of suffering. Because God has to balance everything out, you see. He said, if you suffer with me, you're going to reign with me. But if you're seeking to reign with him, then you're going to have to suffer with him. Because it's all got to balance out, you see. Even though God makes us different, gives each of us a different ministry, he expects us to work together in unity for the good of the body. And I'm going to read again what I read last Thursday night, Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave some, he didn't give anybody all of this. He gave some an apostolic gifting. He gave some a prophetic gifting. He gave some others an evangelistic gifting. He gave others a pastoral or a shepherding gifting. He gave others a teaching gifting for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come. These five giftings have to work in harmony and in unity, each contributing what it contributes to the whole and not claiming preeminence over any of the other giftings. But the five giftings have to work together in harmony because no one gifting or two giftings can perfect the body. Excuse me, excuse me, but pastors that are only comfortable, and I know this is being streamed, and I'm saying this for those that are watching, because some of you are not going to really understand what I'm saying, but there's people that will say it, will understand it. Those pastors that only invite preachers to come preach in their pulpit, who do what they do and do like they do, they're not very wise, because they're unbalancing their, their church. I saw a picture the other day of a young man who was an arm wrestling champion. His right shoulder and right arm looked like Popeye the Sailors. His left arm looked like a hundred pound weekly. He was unbalanced. I said he was unbalanced. He never let the whole body work together and all the members do what it was supposed to do so he could develop 
in symmetry, in harmony, together. So he got all unbalanced. One side of him looked looked like uh, Charles Atlas. The other side looked like uh, the 100-pound weakling that people kicked their face in their, sand in their face. God put everybody here for a purpose. Each one of us is important. Each ministry God has put as a part of the church. Uh, not, not, a, not a ministry passing through, but the people that are here. Every ministry, every gifting is needed for the perfecting of the body. And what's the goal? Till... Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect. That doesn't mean flawless. The Greek word there means completed, mature, fruitful. Till we all come to a completed, mature, fruitful man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not trying to measure up to a human. There's no human complete. We're trying to measure up to Christ. The Lord is trying to form us in the image of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craft is whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly or properly joined together and compacted or or, 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 or brought into, uh, I, put that, put the amplified on the screen for me there, please. If you would, let's, uh, let's read that. It's, it's, the amplified says it really good. So this I say and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as, as in his presence that you must no longer live as the heathen. No, that's verse 17. I need verse 16. For because of him, the whole body, the church in all its various parts, Closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied. When each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. It's not just enough to be one of the parts. But you gotta be in your place in the body. And then you've gotta be firmly tied to whatever member of the body you're connected to. By, by ligaments. You know, as you get older, wear and tear takes place. Oh Lord, I, I'm putting off going to see my, my good friend who's the orthopedic doctor, he's cut on me several times. I got a knee that something's loose in there. If I, if I put it just the right way, I can feel something moving around in there. And you know what? I know that looseness tells me something is not right. Because if that knee was tight and healthy and everything was working okay, there wouldn't be any looseness. There wouldn't be any popping. But if I do it just right, I can feel stuff popping in there. And it, it used to just pop. Now it pops and hurts. As long as it was just popping, 
I'd live with that. But when it starts popping and hurting, I'm too young to live the rest of my life with a popping and hurting knee. Well, you know, I, I've had people say this to me. Well, you know, I'm getting older. I don't see the use of having my, he, my knee replaced, my hip replaced, my shoulders operated on. Oh, so you're just going to suffer the rest of your life with that? You know, give me a couple of weeks of recovery from surgery and a couple of months of rebuilding back up something that's been fixed and then let me spend the rest of my life without pain and with quality of life rather than foolishly avoiding surgery just because I don't want to go through a few weeks of pain so that I suffer the rest of my life with limitations on what I can't do. You're kidding me, right? Not the way I look at it. The body's, every part of the body's important. My appendix has been taken out. My tonsils have been taken out. I don't know what they were supposed to do. And I'm only one-fourth wise. Because three of my wisdom teeth are gone. You had not got the fourth one out, not till it hurts. When the pain of keeping it is greater than the pain of losing it, I'm keeping it. Till then. There are parts I guess I could live without. I, I don't know what an appendix does except cause you trouble down the road. I lost that about when I was 50. Had my tonsils taken out when I was 19. No, 20. My second year at the Naval Academy, it was my third time to have tonsillitis three times during an academic year, and they didn't give me a choice. Would you, that was not, would you like to have your tonsils taken out? You're missing too much time with your tonsils. You will show up at the doctor in the hospital at such and such a time, and they're taking them out. There's no option. Well, I don't want them out. They didn't give me a choice. First time I'd ever been high in my life. They gave me Demerol. They set me in a in, in a dentist type chair, and he had this little. This little thing, it looked like a snare. It was a wire that came out the end of this thing with a trigger on it. And I'm sitting there, and this, it was an old doctor. I don't know how he's still in the neighborhood, but he was still on active duty. Eye, ear, nose, and throat guy. And he, he said, okay, we're going to, Mr. Wright, we're going to take these tonsils out. And so I opened my mouth. He gave me about seven shots on each side. And then he takes his scalpel and starts cutting. And I'm going, oh, you missed a spot with your shot. I feel that. So he gave me a couple of more shots. And he cut around it enough to get the wire around it, pull the trigger, and the thing popped out of there. He says, these are the worst scarred tonsils I've ever seen in all my practice. I, try, I was so high, I tried to talk him into letting me have them. <laughs> I about put them in a jar for him. I was so high. I wasn't feeling anything. I thought it was going to be like that. You ever heard of that Bill Cosby? All the ice cream in the world you can eat. 
the one he talked about him having his tonsils taken out. It's true. I went back to the ward where we were all in a ward. The midship were in a ward. They had private rooms. We were bed after bed after bed. I went back there. I was feeling good. I didn't feel any pain. I thought I'd lay down and take a nap. I woke up. I wish I hadn't. I I lost 13 pounds the next two weeks, and that was when I didn't have it to lose. I don't know what they're for. I don't get the sore throats throats I used to have yet. But there's no tonsils here. I'm not looking at any any, any appendixes. That's probably not proper grammar. I'm looking at people of the accord to the Lord. You're a vital part of this. Whatever that part is. I want to talk to you a little bit. This is probably a little deeper than some of you would prefer to go on a Thursday night after you've worked all day and you've driven all the way here and you're a little tired. And I don't normally read. Now, I never read and pretend I'm preaching. Hi, where's that, where's that live camera at? I need to, I need to wave at it, which, wherever it is. Hi. I never read and pretend I'm preaching. If I'm reading, I'm going to tell you I'm reading. Some of you don't know what that's all about, but that's become very popular in the United Pentecostal Church is where guys, they, they, they write it all out and they read it like they're preaching. All they're doing is reading with theatrics. God help us. Anyway, uh, this is not something I copied and pasted from someplace else. This is stuff the Lord's given me. And, and I don't want to share this with you because you need to get this. I want to talk about the different mindsets and priorities of each of the giftings. And understanding that if you don't understand the mindset of each gifting, and then how that mindset is supposed to complement the other mindsets of the other giftings, so that everybody is supplying something to the whole that the other mindsets doesn't have, then we don't become what we're supposed to be. (laughs) There is not supposed to be in the New Testament church One single gifting that is the preeminent mindset that defines any local church or the body in general. And if you don't know what I just said, hang on, I'm going to explain it. In regards to, I'm reading. (laughs) In regards to the leadership of the church and the influence of each gifting upon the decision-making process, for leading the church and setting its direction, plans, priorities, etc. Each ministerial gifted, gifting as listed in Ephesians 4.11 has and manifests a specific and differing mindset characteristic of that specific gifting as it approach, as its approach to decision making and direction setting. What that means is if I've been gifted with a certain gifting, That thing is not totally interdependent of me because God has created me as a person to be a a place where that gifting can reside and and not find uh, uh, conflict. Where my being, my personality, my my 
whatever fits in harmony with the giftings that are given to me. And my approach to decision making is affected by the mindset of that characterizes my gifting. The apostolic gifting has a mindset. The prophetic gifting has a mindset. The evangelistic gifting has a mindset. The pastoral shepherding gifting has a mindset. And the teaching gifting has a mindset. And they are not the same. They're five different mindsets. And each one brings something different to the decision-making process. Collins Dictionary defines mindset as the ideas and attitudes with which a person approaches a situation, especially when these are seen as being difficult to alter. American Heritage Dictionary defines mindset as a fixed mental attitude or disposition that predetermines a person's responses to and interpretations of situations. Wikipedia defines mindset as, in decision theory and general systems theory, a mindset is a set of assumptions, methods, or notions held by one or more people or groups of people that is so established that it creates a powerful incentive within the individual or groups of people to continue to adopt or accept prior behaviors, choices, or tools. This phenomenon is also sometimes described as mental inertia or groupthink or a word some of you are familiar with, paradigm. And it is often difficult to counteract a specific mindset's effects upon analysis and decision-making processes. Because that is true, and because it's not wrong for a church to truly become what it's supposed to be, there has to be multiple people involved in the decision-making process with differing giftings that bring different elements and attitudes and approaches to the decision-making direction-setting process. Because if any one particular gifting is dominant and makes all the decisions, there can be some really good things and really bad things. You wonderful people that survived here all those years ago when the person in the pulpit did not have a pastoral gifting. It's amazing that you survived. God is good. Because by definition, when a church has begun from scratch, there's one, one minister with one gifting. And even if you bring in other people to contribute in, in, in helping to perfect the saints, the decision-making process is basically handled by one individual. And that person can only do the best they can. But their, their decisions, even trying to follow God, is going to be affected by their particular gifting and its accompanying mindset. So therefore, they're going to see things a certain way. 
And some of you wonderful people have been around here a, lot, a long time. You think that's the way it's supposed to be because that's the way it was when you survived it. Well, things are changing. Thank God they're changing. As being the person that was the one making those decisions. Based on one particular gifting and the mindset it had. The best I could do is try to follow God. But I got to be honest with you. I don't care how well you try to follow God. When you're the only one making the decision. The decisions can have good consequences. And they'll have some bad consequences too. And there's not a thing you can do about it at that stage. And I'm telling you precious people that have been around a while. You got to get with the program. We're not going back. Because that, it, it's amazing there's something here. It's amazing we survived all of that. It's amazing you survived all of that. There are multiple people with multiple giftings involved in the direction setting and decision making process at this time. And outside that immediate group, there's many other people that contribute to that decision making process directly and indirectly. So that the goal is to get input, feedback and input from all of those different giftings. It is not a natural decision making process. It is not a natural uh, 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 committee vote on a decision. But it's a contributing from each gifting until the, the group is able to say, the Holy Ghost is saying to us, and everybody can get on board and say, it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. We cannot be positioned to see the promises of God fulfilled in this church without a multiple ministry in this church. And the core of this church, I said it last week, I got you on a pedestal. I got you on a pedestal that in my, in my mind, you're mature enough. You are spiritually mature enough to understand what God's doing without complaining because your favorite preacher's not in the pulpit. In any given specific service. And it's announced, well, so-and-so's going to come preach for us again. And some of you groan and go, oh, not him. Do you understand? We don't bring people in here out of popularity. I've got good friends that have never been in this pulpit. Is there something wrong with them? No, there's nothing wrong with them. But the idea is to bring men in who can do things that's not normally done here. 
to help well-round you, to help fully equip you so that you and I can get to the place that we're not only fully equipped, but we're fully prepared. You know, you may know how to lay hands on the sick and then recover. But you know how to cast out a devil. You, might, you, you may know how to pray somebody through the Holy Ghost. But you, do you know how to bind and loose principalities and powers? And hear me, hear me. I have been saying this mostly behind the scenes for over 10 years now. The day of the jack-of-all-trades minister that has to try to do everything is over. God is not doing that anymore. Especially at Antioch. The Lord is focusing on our giftings. And when in the spirit it's time for a specific gifting, then so and so is going to be here doing one, being doing the ministry. But when it's not time for that ministry, he may sit. He may sit for a couple of days. He may sit for a couple of weeks. Or in my case, he may sit for months. Cause trust me, my dear, wonderful, beloved people, the guy standing here right now is not the guy that stepped out of this pulpit on a regular basis on the night of December the 18th, 2005. And it is not the will of God for me and the particular level of authority that I have and have been expected by God to operate to be in this pulpit regularly. It's not healthy. Do I miss that? You have any other ridiculous questions? The problem is, I can't go back, and we can't go back. Why? Because what's happening here is God. It's the will of God. Why? Because when God fulfills His promise, there won't be one single individual that will be able to put his thumbs in his smelly armpits and say, look what I did. I did that. I brought that about. Why? Because God would like for us to go to heaven. And people with their thumbs stuck in their armpit crowing about what they've done, they don't make it very often. And, and if you're not willing to be a part of the ministry, you're not going to fit in Antioch. If you're looking for a place of preeminence, there isn't one. There isn't one. We're a body. We're a collective body. And some of you are so restless. You know why? Because you haven't yet found your place in this body. You're still trying to make your round peg fit in a square hole. I'm not upset with you. I'm trying to help you here. Because <laughs> the Lord said to, 
to Saul on the day of his salvation. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That word prick in the Greek is an ox goad. It was a sharpened stick. And the man driving the ox, when the ox wasn't cooperating, would lightly touch the ox in its hind quarter, just enough for the ox to get the point. It wouldn't cause any damage, wouldn't draw blood, just enough for the ox to get the point. But sometimes the ox was defiant. And when that he felt that slight prick, he would kick against it, which would drive the point of that ox go deep in his leg. And it would do damage. And he could whirl around and blame the one that's holding the ox goat all he wants. All he wants. But the one that did the damage wasn't the one holding the ox goad. It was the one that defiantly kicked against the pricks. He's the one that drove the ox goat deep inside. And some of you, boy, you, you know, you just, you're getting hurt around here. You really, you're getting hurt. God help you. You're getting hurt because you are kicking. This is not the way I want it to be. This is not the way I want it to go. I don't want to be a part of a church like this. I don't really think you've talked to God about that. I don't think you've talked to God about that. We got a long ways to go. God's able to get us there. But trust me. Even though we're not really ready for a hundred people to get the Holy Ghost this weekend or get the Holy Ghost every weekend. We're a lot closer to that than we would have been ten years ago. What if every congregation this Sunday prayed to an amount equivalent to 10% of their attendance? We'd be really, really close to, if not over, 100 people. Is there any of us that can't, if nothing else, with a little bit of time and elbow grease, spiritual elbow grease, not take care of 10% people coming in? And some of you precious people that have been sitting around convinced there's nothing for you to do here and you're not needed. Uh, with that kind of harvest, it's all hands on deck. If you're a part of this body, it's, it'd be time for you to step up. And the good thing is, there's a bunch of you here, you wouldn't have to be taught how to teach a Bible study or lead a care group. You've done it, been there, done that. It's just a matter of you stepping up and doing it. How are we going to get from here to the promise? You think we're just going to wake up one day and it's going to happen and there won't be any adjustments and strain or challenge or difficult or dying that we'll have to do to get there? Really, you think that? The structure's not going to change. But the application of the principle of the structure is going to have to Every time we hit a new phase of growth, we've already done it. We have bought a separate building 
from Arnold in the middle of Baltimore. And we're having most Sundays, and for a while now we're going to be having every Sunday, until the pastor says that we'll take a break from that for a service or two. Uh, we're, we're going to have separate Sunday night services. Do you understand that in so many traditionally religious people's minds, religious tra- traditional Pentecostals' minds, they look and they see two churches. It's not two churches. It's not two churches. I got an arm over here and an arm over here and I got a leg here and a leg here. What in the world they have in common? They all meet at the head. And as long as there's one head, it's one body. Now, I'm a trumpet player. I know most of you have no idea that's the case. And it's been a while since I played. But I only have to work my mouth and three fingers on it to play the trumpet. I watch my wife. I don't know how she does it. She's got both hands going, both feet going. She can, hear, she can carry on a conversation while she's playing a song, never miss a note. I don't know how you do that. My mind doesn't, can't do that. If I was a cook, I would cook the green beans and they'd be done and I'd put them aside and I'd, I'd cook the potatoes and fix the mashed potatoes and they'd be done. I'd put them aside and I'd cook the meat and when it was done, I'd put it aside. And by the time you sat down, you'd have some stuff that was room temperature and some stuff that was hot and it'd be all somewhere in between because I'm a one ti- I'm a, I'm a focus guy. Let's do this task. We'll do this task. We'll do this task. But she, I don't know how, and you cooks, I, I know, it's just whatever, but I am not a multitasker. And she gets all this stuff going, and it all comes to the table at the same temperature at the same time. It's a masterpiece. How do you do that? I don't understand that. And it doesn't matter if it's just a good old down-home meal or if it's Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner and 14,000 courses. Ten vegetables and (laughs) two or three meat entrees and all that. You look at all that food and go, oh, God, help me. Father, forgive me. I'm about to sin. Are you ready for dessert? What, in about three hours? Can just just roll me over and pour it in because I can't do anything else. How do, you, how do you do that? I don't know how you do that. You understand my brain doesn't compute that way. But here's the problem. She can handle all that stuff at one time. It, she's not overwhelmed by it at all. But you let one major thing come up. That requires all of your attention. And she doesn't do this outwardly, but I, I've learned to hear it inwardly. Ah! <laughs> and so I step up, pat her on the shoulder, say, I got this. This is what I do. Just make sure the food is cooked on the table on time and I'll handle the crisis. 
Why? We just both have our strengths. We're different. We're very different. And instead of butting heads over our differences, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a big adjustment to go from butting heads over differences to a, an adjustment where you blend weaknesses and strengths until you become very strong. It's not a big adjustment. It's a little adjustment where you start, stop judging somebody that's different than you and you make a mindset adjustment that says, where they're strong, I'm weak. Where I'm weak, they're strong. If we would join these two together, what would we be? That's not a big adjustment. The devil wants it to sound like it's some huge deal. It's not a huge deal. It's just a minor attitude adjustment where you quit judging the other person and appreciate that they can do what you can't. And that you can do what they can't. Oh, Lord. Oh, is that all? I got time. In God's economy, He always, I'm reading, in God's economy, He always places differing, often opposite parts together and expects those parts to function as a unified whole. For instance, marriage, the church, the ministry, etc. This principle requires the submission of each part's strengths and weaknesses to the unity and the good of the whole. It also communicates that no one can function and flourish in the will of God without allowing others to use their strengths to complete and complement the other's weaknesses. Furthermore, it prevents anyone from taking all of the credit or glory for what the group or the team accomplishes. The ignoring or rejecting of this principle always results in negative results in situations that always prove to be damaging and even damning to the individuals involved, the group and the church. If we can't work together and accept our differences and become a team, a body, then all of us will suffer. If one contends for their place over the others, I mean, my hand wants to be the head. Move, get out of the way. Well, let me tell you what happens. If the hand suddenly replaced the head, what would it do? And what if the head replaced the hand? I have to pick things up with my mouth. What? What would I do? How would, how would it function? The hand is designed to do what a hand does. The head is designed to do what a head does. You can't switch them out. They're supposed to work together. They're supposed to complement each other. Tonto is dead, Lone Ranger. And if you don't join the rest of us Rangers, you're going to be dead too. You know how much your mask that you're masking and only seeing out of your little holes is... Hindering your peripheral vision. That's where you're going to be gotten. 
It's in your peripheral vision that that little mask where you're only choosing to see a certain area out of your mask, Lone Ranger. And it's going to be the guy over here you can't see that's going to get you because you play in Lone Ranger, the mystery guy. It's out there doing his own thing. Because of this principle, the Lord has declared, reading, because of this principle, the Lord has declared that for the people of a church and the church as a whole to be perfected, fully equipped, Ephesians 4.12, all five ministerial giftings must be involved in both the ministry to and the leadership of the local church body. When one or more of these giftings are not resident in, a, in at least one of the leaders of the local church, then ministers with those giftings must be the priority for those who are asked to participate from time to time in ministering to that church body. Because of the differing mindsets, there are potential conflicts between the pastoral shepherding gifting priorities and the mission vision oriented apostolic or prophetic giftings priorities when both are present and are participating in the leadership of a church and its decision making Direction setting process. Why? Please be patient with me. I, I'm, I'm not going to go beyond nine tonight. I, that's, I really honestly believe I'll be done. But I'm asking you not to turn this off. Because God's trying to give you some understanding. And that's a great blessing to you. So that you, because if you start understanding stuff, all of a sudden stuff that was going on didn't make any sense to you. You'll go, wow. That's why that's being done like that. That's why that's set up that way. And instead of complaining about it, you'll be thankful for it. By definition, the pastoral shepherding gifting priority is to take care of and protect sheep. Therefore, the ultimate aim and expression of this leadership mindset is maintenance. In decision making, this gifting's priority is people over mission. The focus is the church, local church body, not the lost, the people that are saved. The mission vision slash vision oriented, which would be especially the apostolic prophetic giftings, ministry's priority is focused on the goal or slash mission and accomplishing the mission or attaining the goal, even if achieve, if achieving the end results is, even if achieving it, the end results in casualties among the followers. The shepherding's prior, the shepherd's priority is the safety of all the sheep. You don't take any risks that put sheep in danger. The apostolic prophetic giftings, the vision giftings, their priority is mission. You understand to accomplish the mission. There may be some casualties. You don't want casualties. But the mission, the mission, we've been sent to complete a mission. Do you understand the word that's translated apostle in Ephesians 4.11 literally means to be sent out on a mission? It's mission oriented. It's vision oriented. It's purpose oriented. Does it want casualties? No. But it understands there may, when you're taking a risk to see the, 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 the purpose fulfilled, the, 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 the vision to come to pass, the goal to be reached, that some 
people may not survive the process. Therefore, the ultimate aim and expression of, of the uh, vision, mission-oriented mindset, leadership mindset, is risk, risk-taking. In decision-making, this gifting's priority is mission over people. The focus is the big picture, the kingdom of God. The shepherd's focus is the little picture, the individual, the individual sheep, their safety, their safety. But the big people, big picture people, leader, his focus is on the mission at any cost, the mission at any cost. Reading. The differences between the mindsets of the different giftings essentially automatically set up a scenario for potential conflict between leaders who are working together in the same church. However, harmony is possible when that group of leaders subordinate their differing giftings to the will of God and to the unity of the whole. And when they are truly following the Holy Ghost to unify and lead them collectively and individually for the good of the body and most importantly so that they may please the Lord. A group of leaders who operate primarily intellectually and through their flesh will strive one with another. If there is strife, there is flesh behind it. God is not the author of confusion and God is not the author of strife. And when there is strife, there's two people or three people or ten people with pride striving with each other to have their way. A group of leaders who submit to God and follow the Spirit of God will find a way to be in unity. Strife occurs when one or more leaders contend for their giftings priority to the decrease of the influence and or the devaluing and denigrating of the giftings of others. Balance is further enhanced when those with evangelistic and teaching giftings are also present. Because the evangelistic gifting is very positive. It's, it's the preaching of good news. It's very positive. And the teaching gifting is very stable. So when you add in the teaching, those with teaching gifting and those with evangelistic giftings into the mix where the shepherding, maintenance gifting and the apostolic or prophetic giftings, the vision, mission oriented people, when those, all of those are, are, are put in together and they begin to blend together and they begin to balance each other rather than contend with each other. The leadership, the, what the result of that is absolutely miraculous and apostolic. The specific mindset of either of the giftings, uh, teaching or evangelistic, when involved in the decision making direction setting process will be partially determined by which, and that's, that's not, okay, let me go back to this. The specific mindset of in any of the giftings, when involved in the decision-making direction-setting process, will be partially determined by which secondary giftings the minister, with either of these two primary giftings, has personally. For instance, you can have someone with an apostolic gifting that also has a teaching gifting as a secondary gifting. 
You can have somebody that is a, has a pastoral gifting that also has a teaching gifting. You can have somebody that has a prophetic gifting with also an evangelistic gifting or an apostolic gifting with an evangelistic gifting. In other words, very few men of God have only one gifting. They have a, pri- a primary gifting and a, uh, not secondary in importance, but a, a, a gifting that is not as often used in their, uh, in their lives. It's a, it's a secondary gifting. Why does God give men of God, usually gives men of God at least two giftings? To help balance them out inside. Because if they are truly only one gifted, they re- that, that mindset really becomes like a stone wall. However, neither the evangelistic gifting or the teaching gifting will be strongly either sheep or mission oriented. Therefore, they have the potential to be peacemakers and to encourage unity and selflessness among all the leaders for the church, both of, for the good of both the church body and the kingdom of God. However, the potential for negativity in the single pulpit, single voice church structure based on only one of these mindset perspectives being involved in decision-making, direction-setting processes is even more hazardous for the local church body. Oh, God, help us. There are, there are good, honest, spiritual men out there that are in situations where they don't have other ministers with other giftings and alternative mindsets that are working with them in a local church. They're doing the best they can. I've been there, done that. You're doing the best you can, but somewhere, somewhere over a course of time, you begin to understand deep down inside that while I have some strengths here, I have some major weaknesses. I have some, some, some blind spots. I really need some help. I need some help. I, I need people to come in and, and help fill in all these gaps that my pers- my specific ministry is, 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 is missing, is leaving. Need some help. That's why in this particular situation we're in, those of you that are leading a daughter work on Sunday morning, you understand how awesome it is here? Because there are numerous people that on a fairly regular basis, one or more of them can come and preach in your service and help supply what you can't supply and to balance out what you're not able to put in people. Is there something wrong with you? No, there's something right with you. That's the way God designed you. That's the way he designed the situation. And when you have, when you have a body with this kind of ministry in it, with all these different ministries in it, and every ministry is valuable and every ministry is important, and, 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 and when each one of them is able to contribute in, in various places and in different ways, it completes the body. It fully equips the saints. I remember the first automatic transmission car my dad bought. It was a Chrysler station wagon. It had push buttons on the dash. For R for race. D for drag. P for pass. 
Obviously not. And if you wanted to go backwards, you pushed push the button R. There was no shifter. Push the button R. See, it's not new. You push the button. You shifted the gears. It was on the dash. You just push the button. That was the first automatic transmission car we ever owned. It was a 1960 Chrysler station wagon. It was a tank. It was the first automatic transmission car I ever drove because I drove, we had Volkswagens before then. Zero sixty in two minutes flat. A minute and a half if you're sitting downhill. Three and a half minutes if you were doing it uphill. Heat worked really good if you were moving. Because there was no fan. It was all forced air off the engine in through the car. And the air conditioner was a side vent that you could, you could turn to make... Determine how much air was coming in on you. That first automatic transmission car had power windows. Oh, wow. How cool was that? You push a button. You didn't have to sit there and exercise. You pushed a button and it would go down. You pushed a button it would come back up. Wow. I remember when, when air conditioning was first offered as an optional equipment. And cars would cost like $3,000 and air conditioning was like 500 bucks to add to it. You, you understand what I'm saying? That you would increase the price of the car by like 20, 25%. Or less, whatever it was, just to have cold air that worked sometime. And over my lifetime, to see the equipment that they have now. I, I, I got a car that's got adaptive cruise control. If you don't know what that is. Oh, that is going to be one of the things that one day will be standard equipment on every vehicle. I don't care the price. Because when you set it, you also set a distance between you and the car in front of you. And you can practically go to sleep because if you're coming up on somebody, it will stop, slow you down. And if they stop, it will stop you. And when they take off, it will, it, you, it will speed you right back up from stop once you take your foot off the brake. It's the most, it's the most amazing thing. I, rem, I, I remember those long trips as a young man. Cruise control? That was my right foot. And when I jump in the car and drive 24 hours straight through to get from Maryland to Florida. Cruise control? I was cruising all right. Thousand miles in under 14 hours. Don't do the math. I was cruising. Man, I remember the first car I got with cruise control. And now it's adaptive cruise control. And there's a beeper that says when you get out of lane, you understand that what, what is luxury one year 
in just a couple of years is standard equipment because of the safety of it. No matter the price of the car. I mean, I remember when airbags were luxuries. And now you can't buy a car without them. Safety. Equipment. Equipment. Fully equipped. Fully equipped. A fully equipped car. But more importantly, a fully equipped saint. A fully equipped body that can handle whatever it is that God allows us to go through and can handle whatever God gives us. A fully equipped body. I don't know if you're aware of it. I, I think it's 2016. It's been mandated that every car, I believe it's 2016, that's sold of any price must have a backup camera. Doesn't matter how cheap the car is, how expensive it is. It's got to have a backup camera. That was a luxury just a couple of years ago. Now it's going to be mandated because of how, how much it increases safety. So, so there's some things that God has done in this church that seem like they're superfluous. They're just spooky, supernatural stuff. And then a few years down the road, you find out he expects everybody to be able to do something along that line. Because it's fully equipped. I'm almost done. Ten minutes. Churches that are led by a senior minister who has a shepherd gifting will be stable, but will tend towards stagnation. By nature of their gifting, shepherds are not risk takers. Mission is secondary to risking the stability of the flock and its safety. Churches led by a senior minister who has a mission or vision-oriented gifting, will be progressive and growing, but will experience casualties among the soldiers. Like different metaphors were used by the Holy Ghost to describe certain aspects of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is both lamb and high priest, both shepherd and the bishop, both savior and our captain. There are different metaphors used in reference to the different spiritual emphases of the church. On one hand, the church is likened to a flock. The members are his sheep. On the other hand, the church is also likened to God's army. And we are exhorted as good soldiers to endure hardness. Which one of those is right? Both are right. It's not either or. They're two different ministries. The body needs both ministries. Somebody in every ministry in this church needs to be able to look at a group of people and know which of their people are missing. Through some means whatsoever. It is your responsibility to know who's not in church. Because the first two indicators that somebody's struggling is they start missing church and they start getting irregular with their, their giving. It's not about money and it's not about coming to church to be saved. But saved people are faithful with their finances and saved people are faithful to the house of God. And when a person starts struggling with either one or both of those, it's time to step in and help. But if you don't know somebody's missing, 
I said, but if you don't know who's missing, and I don't mean just on Sunday morning, shepherds, but do you know which of your people are not here tonight? Do you know which of your leaders are not here tonight, shepherd? You know which of your leaders is not one of our Sunday night, or which one, which of your people, committed people are not in Sunday night service someplace? If you don't know that, you're not doing your job. Because a shepherd knows his sheep. He knows their name. He's got some idea of their spiritual condition. That's his job. That's his job description. And yet the body, while the body has to have that, and the people have to have that, we can't just be focused on that. We've been called to be fishers of men. There is a mission. There is a purpose. And when everybody is supplying according to their gifting and their perspective, then all the needs get met. And everybody's, everybody's taken care of and everybody's challenged and everybody has a chance to grow. And everybody has a chance to participate. Everybody has a, has a place in the body. And we're all our brother's keeper. You know something? I know who, this is the Thursday night group. This is the sifted twice group. Sunday morning is sifted to Sunday night. Sunday night is sifted to tonight. And you are your brother's keeper. And if you recognize that somebody's missing, and you don't give them a call, if you don't say, hey, how you doing? What's happening? Can I help? Oh, that's not my job. Oh, then you're not a brother. I don't think I said that strong enough, did I? You are your brother's keeper. That's a preacher's job. This is not intended to be a slur to anybody. There are good, sincere people who are Catholic. But that, this is the wrong parking lot for that. And everybody in the body in an apostolic church is a part of ministry. And if you've been saved very long, you're not here just to get. And you are your brother's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. And if you check on somebody and you don't know what to do because you're feeling something or hearing something that's uncomfortable, then you go to your pastor, their pastor, and say, I checked on so-and-so, they were missing, and something doesn't feel right. Now you've done your part. If you recognize somebody's missing, God showed you that. And you are accountable. Well, if the pastor cared, he'd call. If you cared, you'd call. We're in this together. I got a lot more, but I'm quitting. I did some study on this. I'd, I'd always heard that shepherds lead sheep from the front. And I read several different places. And one of the most seemingly accurate one I read said this. This man had studied shepherding throughout the world, different cultures. He said, in the Middle East, 
flocks are not allowed to get much more than two, three hundred. When they get to a certain place, they divide the flocks. Why? Because in the Middle East, the shepherd really does lead from the front. But that's only possible if the flock doesn't get too big. So if a flock is particularly prosperous and it reaches a certain point, then they divide the flock into two. So that that shepherd, that they, that each of those flocks can have a shepherd that knows each sheep's name, that knows what's going on with each sheep. I have read, I read about, they actually have competitions among shepherds in, it's a competition. Shepherds will be, bring their flocks to a certain place, several of them will. And they'll, they'll, they'll pin their sheep up in, in like four pins. And then across, across, directly across from them, there'll be another pin. And the, the, all the door, all the pins will be open at the same time. And the shepherd at the front of his flock, not being able to do anything but lead from the front, will, will head across that space to the other pin. And the shepherd that gets all of his sheep to follow him through the maze of all those different flocks mixing in the middle and gets all of his sheep in the pen on the other side first wins. He can't do anything but lead from the front. And he has to have a relationship with the sheep so that the sheep know his voice. And they said that each shepherd has a certain sound or or call or tone of voice that his sheep get to know. And all he does to lead is when he leaves that pen and heads to the other side, he just makes that sound and the sheep sort through all those different sounds being made and they hear the voice of their shepherd and they make their way through all of those other sheep to their shepherd. But in America, we don't do that, you see. The big sheep ranches out west, instead of a flock of two or three hundred sheep, they have flocks of three to five thousand sheep. And when you've got a flock that big, you've got to drive from the back. You've got to drive them. You drive goats. But if you let the flock get too big, you've got to treat them like goats. And it takes a couple of shepherds. Two, three, four sheepdogs to get that size shot flock moved from one place to the next. You say, well, uh, they must be friendly with the dog. No, no, no. The reason a sheepdog is effective is because the sheep determine that that dog is a natural predator, an enemy. And so when, when the dog wants the sheep to not go this way, he gets between the sheep and, and that place he doesn't want them to go. And they, they sense danger. They sense, uh, 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 Potential peril from that, that dog that they discern as an enemy and they go the other direction, which is what the sheepdog wanted them to do. In other words, you move a flock that's one single flock of three to five thousand, you can only move them by fear. You drive them by fear. But if you take that three to 5,000 sheep, divide it up into flocks of 100, 150, 200, 250, and let each flock have its own shepherd, it's all still one sheep farm. But then you can lead by love rather than to drive by fear. 
Does anybody get it? What do we got all these groups for? Did you just hear it? We come together. We come together to preach. We come together to work together. Yes, but the caring is done on the basis of the individual groups. Why? I love all of you. And I know everything about you that God shows me. But that's all I know. Same thing with him. So therefore, how does that work? It means that if you're one of our congregation leaders, you ever expect to lead a group of 5,000? You better get ready to show how to do that because it's not going to be done by a group of 5,000 on Sunday mornings. You may have 5,000 on Sunday night when you collect up groups. So you see, while it's important for a, a leader on Sunday morning to be able to preach, it's important to have good singing. The most important qualification that a Sunday morning leader has got to have He's got to love his sheep. He's got to love his sheep. But, guess what? We can't leave you alone to be a shepherd. So therefore, direction comes down. Says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Yes, that's where the balance comes from. Somebody's got to remind you. You're also supposed to be a fisherman. And just taking care of the sheep is not enough. So therefore, to have a balanced, healthy New Testament church, apostolic church, you must have influence of both shepherds, and fishermen. Because taking care of the sheep is important. But accomplishing the mission we're sent on is also important. And there's no choice between the two. You can't choose between grace and truth. You can't choose between the Father and the Son. You can't choose between the word, ministry of the word, and the ministry of the spirit. All of it is important. Every part of it's got input for the health of the body and for the accomplishing of the word of God. Jesus' name. Father, I have done what you've told me to do here tonight. I've said what you've given me to say. I ask that the seed of this word be planted deep in the hearts of your people. Because everyone sitting here tonight is called to be significantly involved in leadership in this church at some point in the future. Help them to understand. Help them to seek. Help them to submit. Help them to participate. Help them to contribute and also to receive. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak grace and peace from the Father upon you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak peace to you that you might be at peace with your place in this, with your part of this. In Jesus' name, I speak peace that you might be, you might be at peace with your place in this and your part of this. In Jesus' name, I speak grace that you may be empowered to full, fulfill your part and your place in this in your contribution to the whole in the name of the lord jesus christ let it be so in the name of jesus in the name of jesus in the name of jesus could we raise our hands and thank the lord just here for a minute thank you father Thank you, Father. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm sorry, I have one more thing I really got to say. If I haven't said anything tonight that is heresy, and I haven't because I can prove every bit of it in the book, and I haven't said anything here tonight that you submitting to it is going to send you to hell, and I can prove that won't be the case if you participate in this, then it doesn't matter whether you understand it or agree with There's only one thing for you to do if you're going to please the Lord. Yes, Lord. I submit. Yes, Lord, I submit. And I remind you again, submission automatically implies that you don't see eye to eye with everything the one or the people that you're submitting to sees. Otherwise, submission would not be, wouldn't be required, would it? And as I taught last week, and I'm not going to go through a big, deep thing here tonight, right now. The only way to have authority, to use authority, to be a covering of authority to your family, is to receive authority by delegation through submission. And it is a dangerous thing to not do that. Hallelujah. Things, things have shifted. It's time. It's fine. And it's very, very important that you understand that my being in the pulpit on occasion is not very often and won't be very often. But my being in the pulpit on occasion, and it's, all, it's really weird that it's going to be three Thursday nights in a row counting next week, the Lord willing. Uh, that is not intended to be correction or in any way, uh, any, it's not, there's no implied negativity toward him because I'm here or if anybody else was here. It's just the fact 
that the Lord is ready to demonstrate that this is all a team. I, I have been called to be the ultimate authority here. He has been called to be the day-to-day authority and oversight leading this church and the spirituality of this church. My part can be done from the other side of the world, if need be. His cannot. It's different roles, different places. And as we continue to make peace with this, with ourselves, God is going to begin to confirm it like he never has been, never has before. Do we have everything in place we need to have? Absolutely not. Do we have all the I's dotted and T's crossed? No, we do not. No, we don't. But we are in a place where we could handle significant growth. And there does come a point where sometimes you have to have growth to reveal what you do need to continue to work on. Sometimes you have to have that. And I believe, I believe that's happening. I believe that with all my heart. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for receiving this. Thank you for um, being open-minded about this. Sometime within the next few days, the notes that I've read from tonight, they're more an article than it is a set of notes, will be posted online for you to download. They will be in a PDF format, so it doesn't matter what your word processor is. You should be able to open them, and then you can copy and paste them into whatever you want to. Just so you can read it and study it for yourself. Okay? It'll be made available for you. God bless you. Pastor.